out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love the special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of a record label. And not just any old record label. This is one that's only just begun, 2021, just in case you listen to it. In the future, um, re- uh, titled Precious Recordings of London. It's been initiated by Nick Godfrey. And it's going to be doing John Peel sessions, classic BBC radio sessions, so lots of rarities. So these have come out. Well, there's so far there's been two. Again, this is kind of 2021, March. Um, the Jasmine Minx and the BMX Bandits. But there's going to be lots more besides. And it's going to be indie pop fantastic. Yes, John Peel session. So good old Nick has been delving into the archives and probably doing lots of admin to get these recordings, etc., etc. There, enough of me. This is the interview. Um, and after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to the exciting subject of me saying, tell us more about the precious recordings of London, Nick. And this was his reply. Nick, it's over to you. Yes, I guess so. I guess so. Um, I mean, we, we launched uh, um, on Monday with um, the first four singles, which are the BMX Bandits and the Jasmine Minx, two by each, the Jasmine Minx pre-001. And, and that's sort of in homage to creation, because they were numbers were all... CRE, Creation, 001, and, and so forth. So we've got pre-001. I, I j- joke with Jim from the Jasmine Minx that they, they had pre, uh, pre-004 and we moved them up three. So, yes, so that's, uh, we've, we've just launched. This has been sort of more than six months in the gestation. Um, but the idea is, frankly, I am releasing, when I can get the rights to do so, um, Sessions from BBC, BBC Archive Radio sessions, mainly from the era that we're, that we're talking about, from the from the C eighty six era. Not just that, hopefully in the future, but but mainly that because that's the era that I know best and that, that I was most into. Yes. So, were you coming? Are you a fan of this, or were you kind of a part of the the music kind of industry, so to speak, before before this kind of um, this adventure began? Well, I'm absolutely not part of the music industry. I mean, my entire um, history uh, as, as such would, would be a one-issue fanzine in 1986 called Diana Rigg. Um, so I did get to know a couple of people from back back then, but I wasn't really part of it. And then my, my day job, if you like, is a horse racing journalist. Um, I was at the Racing Post for 29 years, and I'd been freelance for a couple of years. Um, so other than that, other than going to quite a lot of concerts over the, over the years and um you know i kept in touch with a few people but not not closely it's not like we've been on week on, on you know weekly chats or anything um so i'm doing this as a fan which i hope comes out in the records because i'm trying to put a lot of a lot of love into them um we're trying to make them very special i mean the the, the format which are, they're all gatefold singles gatefold vinyl singles which um let me tell you is not the cheapest way to produce things <laughs> i have to say but i've you know wanted to get a Photos that hadn't been seen before, if possible, and um, we're giving away three three postcards as part of part of each um, each single. And the thing is, sessions were were um, to me as, as a kid. I used to sit there and tape them all from John Peel and Janice Long of all the bands that I loved, um, and sometimes miss a song or, or or something like that. And so I, I just came up with this idea because I wanted to do something, and I thought about putting on some shows. But, I, but to be frank, I don't get out that much. I mean, I still go to maybe. I'll go and see a show, go and see a band once once a month, but to do that from scratch, 
think when I'm not on the scene even now seems a bit much. And I suddenly hit on the idea of, well, you know, I, I found this box of my old tapes um, just after my mum died, actually. I found this box of them, and I obviously had them all labelled with a band in a very anorak sort of way. And I just thought, you know, I'd love to... I'd love to have these on vinyl, you know, sounding good as opposed to my dodgy tape. Because you, know, you can get a lot of these on, on the internet, but they've got a lot of hiss on them. Yes. And so I just found found somebody at the BBC and asked them about the process. And then I, having found them, it's quite laborious, to be fair, with the BBC, although they're helpful. But as you can imagine, there's a uh, it's labyrinthine in terms of the... Um, uh, the legal requirements and things like like that. I mean, it's not so bad with the licensing and the fees, but you know that that does exist. But it's more the compliance and stuff like that. And I'd never done this before. Right. Um, and then I thought, well, who who can I talk to? And I knew Douglas from the BMX Bandits from uh, when I was doing my fanzine, and Jim from the Jasmine Minks I'd got to know over the years. And I thought, well. These are the only two guys, really, that I can approach from scratch. Why on earth would anybody trust me to do this? If they say no, then, <laughs> then there's no point. It's not yes. going to happen. And both of them placed their trust in me so, and have been extremely helpful. I mean, Jim, Jim immediately said yes, and he just wants to get his songs out there, really. Um, and you know, their sessions have never been released at all. Um, and you know, so he's just very, just very keen to get them out there. And Douglas, Douglas too. I mean, the BMX bandits have kept going, really, throughout. I mean, the, the Minks are are playing occasionally, or obviously not at the moment, but they had been, but not as an ongoing thing, whereas the BMX Bandits is really Douglas plus loads of other people. He always calls it a family, you know, a family that you, know, you it's, almost, it's almost like you can check in, but you never check out, you know. <laughs> yes, and I guess it's a little bit like that Marky e. Smith uh, quote, isn't it? Basically, that could be Marky e. Smith and he's this, I don't know, granny on bongos, and that would still be the fall, really, and I suppose that's the same with the BMX Bandits and Douglas, really, isn't it? As long as he's in it, it doesn't matter who else, really. That, that, is, that is completely true, although I suspect Doug, Doug, Douglas would, would not be quite as ruthless as Marky e. Smith when it comes to <laughs> hiring, and, hiring and firing, because, no, I mean, he... You know, I mean, he um, he recently played at that. Well, I say recently, nothing's recent anymore, is it? But I mean, he played at the Hundred Club not so long ago, and Sean from the Soup Dragons, who formed the band with him right in the right at the start, played with him for the first time in decades. You know, so you know, there are always people that uh, are in there. But yes, I mean, it's Douglas's band, and he, you know, they've been playing as the BMX Bandits throughout since the sessions that we're releasing in from 1986 and 1987. And um, so, so, so for me, when they said yes, I thought, well, well, let's have a go at this and see how it goes, and just try and make them, you know, my my. My ethos has been just make them make them something special if I can, and I'm very pleased with the way they've turned out. And people have been kind enough to say lots of nice things on 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 social media and what have you. So yeah, I'm very pleased with that. Now now just got to flog them basically. Well, absolutely. But then that's quite interesting because because having done this show, you know, for quite a few years and sort of realised actually there's just a never-ending sort of pit of bands that you can keep sort of finding and thinking I must include them. So you're going to have probably a very similar experience really thinking when will it end? But I do I do sort of realise that after a few months and years doing it there is a kind of passing of time, which I've got down to about 25 to 30 years, where, you know, something happens and you just take it for granted and then you just move on with your life and get on with stuff, even though you might go back to some of those things. But you don't get that much time because there's just kind of stuff on. And then you sort of have a moment where you can reflect a little bit as you get older and start going back again, not necessarily with rose-tinted sunglasses, though that can be tempting, but just listening to some of the music and sometimes listen to music that you missed the first time from that particular scene, which we're talking about, the 80s, because there's a lot of bands I didn't hear the first time for various reasons. 
um, mainly because you can always get it, you know, and sometimes it's difficult to listen to. It. And even if you did, if even if you heard it on John Peel and made a little note on a bit of paper and went to a record shop, they sometimes looked at you as if you were completely bonkers. So, but then you know there is there's. I'd noticed that there's kind of a bit of a, a wave of people putting compilations. I mean, Cherry Red Records has done that C86 as a triple and then C87, 88, 89 and 90. And I think it's like people begin to think, actually, I'll, I wouldn't mind hearing some of that again and whatever else that I've missed at the same time. And, and then there's been several books. There was obviously the one by Neil Taylor who put the cassette together called C86 and all that. Uh, indie pop in difficult times and again you know he, he couldn't have written it earlier you know you've got to have a bit of distance to reflect on it and I think a lot of the music is much better than I remember which is quite strange because you sometimes think oh I'm sure it's just throw away so I'm pleased that you know there are these fans putting stuff to, out there because because you know you get the 60s and everybody goes oh that's groovy and then the 70s and it's punk and prog and whatever and the 80s you know hasn't really had that much kind of you know examination we you know you get the obvious bands and the the charts you know with that Trevor Horn S production but then there's all this other stuff that went underneath and obviously you had the Smiths and the main kind of indie bands but then there's all these other load behind them and also all the fanzines and all the posters that people have started collecting and putting in books as well very recently so I kind of thought oh yes actually it's I'm sure a few years ago we'd have just chucked it in the recycling probably but then people say don't do that we could write an academic book about fanzines of the 80s and um, it suddenly looks quite different so um, it's great that you've also caught the bug so to speak well, I think what you're saying is 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 true. So I think there's been a reawakening in in these sorts of uh, bands. And in as much as I mean, 15 years ago, I hadn't heard a band like the Bodines anywhere. And Therese was one of my favourite songs from that era. And I walked into the club. How does it feel to be loved? And um, somewhere in Islington. And as I walked in, Therese was playing. Um, so that was it was quite a moment for me to suddenly hear that again. And I think since then there has been a, a growing interest in this from from younger bands and younger fans as well because um i mean i like i mean i followed i bought everything fortuna pop released um virtually over the years and clearly there, there was a great um heritage for them going back to these sort of bands and there are others like you know where it's at is where you are a, a label like that, that that has a link to them sometimes almost directly because i mean amelia fletcher from tallulah gosh has released records on those labels and uh, pete astor who both who incidentally are going to be releasing things on precious recordings in the future but pete astor was on both creation and then 25 30 years later has a single out on, on fortuna pop so there's clearly um, there's a there's a lineage there to to the two um more modern labels um but as in you know we look back to the to the 80s and clearly the Smiths were at the, the top of this, but them and, say, the Judas and Mary Chain were the like, two most obvious bands to, to talk about who, who had a level of success. But underneath that, there was a, a really thriving indie scene. Um, I mean, I tend to prefer the, the, pop, the sort of punky pop bands, but that's not to say it's only them. I mean, I was very interested in, in the noise bands on, C, on C86 and all the, any of it, all these people making sort of difficult, angular music. Well, I'd, I'd argue that most of the, the bands I really like aren't difficult at all. They're just a you know, scratchy pop punk, um, but never really got very far through bad luck. I mean, the Jasmine Minx had terribly bad luck over the, over the years. Um, yes. I mean, do you know... I mean, do you know the story about them and the NME when they were on the on the verge of their sort of, if you like, cliched big breakthrough? Um, I should do, because I did an interview with Jim, actually, but I've completely yeah. forgot it. What is the... What well, is the... Well, 
opened was, I mean, the Jasmine Minks um, were you know, one of the, you know, the big bands in the living room now, Alan McGee's club, and they were, they were they released, they'd released these wonderful singles, really feel blasts of energy, and a highly political band as well. Um, a lot of their songs were, were, were really uh, re- political um, uh, songs with, with messages in them, and which makes, you know, we don't work for nothing, which makes what happened to them quite ironic, because the NME um, in those days used to do a great hopes for for, for the year, and they did a, a big gig with all the bands, a week-long thing, which they continued over the years in various different forms. Anyway, this particular year, the Jasmine Minks were, were due to be on it with Lloyd Cole and the Commotions and the Go-Betweens and other bands who had you know, considerably more success than the Jasmine Minks ever did. Um, and that was the year of the N- of, of a big NUJ strike, which the enemy was highly committed to, so it never got seen. So <laughs> that was their big chance, which, as I say, is a great irony, given, the, given their political... Uh, uh, beliefs as, as, as articulated in, in many of their records and then they got done for because that was a big chance for, for a, a wider audience if you like so they never, I always felt that they'd been overlooked throughout history, I mean even now with the C86 and the, when the, the, there was a, the Teenage Superstars a brilliant documentary, they were only I mean, they weren't in Glasgow obviously, they were from Aberdeen but they were just there in passing sort of thing so I'm very pleased to be able to get the Jasmine Minx uh, um, out on, on, on my label you know they mean, they mean a lot to me, always been one of my favourite bands Yes, the, the the famous living room, the Anna McGee Club, which um, I was interviewing someone the other night and they said it really was a living room because it was that small. They thought, oh, there is the fireplace. So it's, I never went to it, but it does sound very evocative. And it's kind of, it is interesting that period because there were the kind of gatekeepers. There was like the John Peel show, which obviously, you know, is handy for you. And then there was like the enemy and the Sounds of Melody Maker who had huge circulation figures. And, and then, you know, every city and every town had a sort of indie night, probably on a Monday or Tuesday. So it was, it was kind of interesting how a lot of those bands were able to get out of their little kind of worlds and little environments. Because basically trying to, you know, break out of just playing in front of your friends, family and anybody else you can blackmail to watch you. It's kind of a big step, really, and you're not going to do it unless you get that bit of exposure, which you can get to the second base. I'm suddenly talking about baseball here, aren't I? Um, you, you can suddenly go to the next base and play in front of strangers in a, in a small town like Norwich and go, wow, look at that, they know our songs. Um, so it's, it is interesting. And it's kind of, you know, obviously gives you then those bands that kind of hope of doing the album and then hopefully the second album before they all fall out of it and fall fall out and hate each other but then you know that's just rock and roll for you isn't it really but then yes because interesting because the bmx bandits they didn't have a great relationship with the nme either so you obviously you're sort of um you've picked up on 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 sort of bands who who didn't always have a great time with the music papers so um well yes. i'm gonna get to, we'll get to sarah um, very soon who obviously had a generally speaking a a terrible relationship with music journalists who thought they were just twee and silly um, and treated every band the same, which was blatantly unfair on, on, on Sarah at the time because, you know, my next releases are Blue Boy and, and Heavenly, um, two Sarah bands, uh, again, heavily influenced by, by the C86. Um, but their relationship was, um, well, awful, generally speaking. I mean, well, no, that's wrong. I mean, it's almost like so extreme that it became... It, it, it became almost a positive. They they existed in opposition to the music press, um, which obviously the bands that just happened a lot. Dexter's Midnight Runners, who my record label is virtually named after, as in Let's Make This Precious, um, they they put ads in the press rather than talking to them, which is strange when you look at it now, given that these these magazines and well the, the papers there were four of them then, 
all selling thousands and thousands of copies. So it's a, it's a really different environment now. Yeah, absolutely. And it is kind of, I suppose it's a bit embarrassing when I expect some of those journalists realise the effect they had on, on sort of what they did and what they wrote about is kind of, is pretty terrible. And Sarah Records, is that kind of the, well, I don't know about irony, but it's interesting that there was a really nice film made about Sarah Records and they've become such a, a collectible um item i suppose on the wonderful world that is ebay which and they've got a dedicated fan base so it's kind of great that in a way that that 30 years later they're, they're one of those record labels that people are really proud of and i think bands who signed for them thought my god we signed for sarah i'm so pleased and bands who didn't sign for sarah but signed for a bigger label um were really you know regret it ever since because it's like yeah, that would have been really nice. We won't have, we won't be thirty years later feeling bitter about the sort of the major record label deal that sort of completely screwed us over. So it's interesting. But you must have been kind of very Im- not influenced, but I guess it was during the that period, the eighties and nineties, when we, we were sort of getting. Was it Strange Fruit used to put out the John Peel sessions yes, as well? Yes, yes. So the, is it the case that you're trying to do the sessions that didn't get released in on those those bands that? Got released the first well, time. Well, I mean, I have described what I'm doing as a low-range strange fruit. Um, well, I'm not looking. To, really, I want to release. Oh, the first thing is I've got to like the bands. Right, that's the that's the that's the the, the really important thing. I'm not putting out anything that I'm not, that I'm not, not ma- massively enthusiastic about because the effort required is too much, and it would might show anyway because you, you don't want to do a half-baked job. I mean, as I say, I'm really trying hard to, to put everything into this to make make them make people want them yes. because they're not going to be cheap as vinyl anyway which i'm not happy with in, in a way but there's nothing you can do i mean it's so everyone told me don't do seven inches do 10 inches or 12 inches well i don't like those you know really i like seven inches and i wanted them to look open up as a gatefold and then look look more like a book and all that's worked so i wanted it to be aesthetically pleasing and the reason i'm doing them as double singles is because um, then each song, your typical four-song session, there's no A or B side. It's, it's a four-song session. So that's my thinking. I mean, obviously, you can get downloads as well, so if people want those, that's, that's fine. Um, but, yes, yeah, Strange Fruit released a lot of uh, a number of sessions, and I wouldn't be looking to, to, to repeat what they've done. You know, I want to do really things that are extremely hard to get. If they have been released, then, you know, they're, they're either long deleted or, or that. But there's so many sessions of bands that I like that um, have never seen the light of day. And even those, those great Terry Red things you talk about, often you know, they have lovely booklets in them. I mean, you're right, Neil Taylor put, did, do, did the writing in the C86 treble, uh, triple album, didn't he? But the fact is that they're, they're nearly always CDs, and there's a, there's a great vinyl revival. I still love vinyl. I've always kept buying, particularly seven inches. You know, that's, I can't help it. I don't, it's a, it's a, maybe it's a fetish, but there are a lot of people <laughs> like me who just love, have, love, love having them. And, you know, I've ne- I never liked 12-inch singles, like Sarah. I never liked them. They seem to be full of, you know, you get two songs and then they chuck another one on with a remix during the 80s and bands who should never have been releasing 12-inch singles were almost forced into it. No reason for it other than a, for commercial reasons. Um, mind you, I might, I might be, <laughs> it's easy for me to say that now and sound sounds like I'm com- completely pure and above that, but maybe in six months' time when I've got no money, I might, <laughs> I might have to change my tune. Yes. But, you know, I just, so the seven-inch singles to me are is the perfect expression of pop going back to the sixties. Yes. But you know, so that's why that's why I wanted to do it like that. So yes, I want, I have to like them. They have to be vaguely, uh, preferably unreleased, preferably with songs that have never been heard, like 
like the BMX Bandits have a version of Take Five, the jazz standard, with lyrics on this on on one of the records that we've just released. They've got Strawberry Sunday, a really mad version, which Sean was playing the studio floor for percussion. So there are things on there like that um, that have never that have never been out or extreme extremely rare um, and long deleted. So that's what I'm trying to do. The Blue Boy session, Blue Boy released the final single on on Sarah, um, and they did it in appeal session. They did the songs before. But there's one song on it that has never been released, so it's never seen the light of day. So for anyone who likes Sarah or, is it, or likes Blue Boy, I'm hoping that this will be something they'll really cover it. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's my aim. So, I've got, so I'm aiming at bands that, that I like, love, frankly, um, and that, were, that have not really been out. And then, of course, there are the problems of label rights. I mean, you know, you have to get everyone on the... Um, it's not easy. You need everyone who's on the, um, on the vinyl, and then other labels have rights to them, even... Even in the even in the past, you know, bands who were on a label at the time. So I don't know um, how uh, who I'm going to be able to do. I mean, as I say, I mean, I happily say that we've got we've already got um, Heavenly, Blue Boy, and the Weather Prophets uh, lined up. Um, Excellent. So that'll, keep me going. that'll keep me going for a few months for sure. I mean, the process of trying to find photos of the Weather Prophets because, as I say, I'm giving away giving away sound like that's that's the wrong word. The packages include. A set of postcards, so you know um, that, that's that's the sort of thing we're doing. So that'll keep me occupied for a for a few months. And if we're still solvent after that, then I'm not going to name them. But I've got a couple of others coming soon after that. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But but they're you know they're all on the way. And I'm what I'm hoping will happen is that you know bands will see them, really like them, and who knows they might contact me if they if it works. That would be lovely. You know, well, bands. I think, um, yes, well, from what I gather, sort of having interviewed a lot of bands, I think they're, they're quite relieved if someone archives their material because they would like to do it, but they haven't got the energy and time and they probably feel like, oh, if only someone else could just take this project and obviously you're, you're, you are the person who's going to help, help them to do that. So is it the case then, because I'm sort of, I don't know how this all works, so is it the case then that you, you don't just contact the BBC and say, oh, can I have... The rights to this, and here's some cash in an envelope. And no, I'll, no. So how did? So what is that actual yeah. process then? Well, well, that I mean, yeah, that is part of it, yes. But you know, the band, you've got to the BBC are um, quite rightly um, absolute sticklers for having approval from everybody who's played on the um, right the session. So you, so a four, so if you, if, if, if so you have to contact, you know, if there's a four-piece band, each member, and say, is that okay to put this out? And they have to say yes or no. Yes, that's basically it. Um, what happens in, without saying morbid? What happens if one of them's died? Yeah, I don't know yet. Okay, um, fair but, enough. I'd avoid yeah, those um, bands if I was you then. Um, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I, I just I didn't know actually how this all kind of happened. So you're there. Oh, yeah. right, okay. So they must be quite delighted when you get a call. Because I do know, because it's kind of, I don't know how long he's been doing it, probably about two, three years. Optic Nerve Records in, in Preston has also been putting out these kind of old classic singles and stuff and seems to have been getting a bit of kind of enthusiasm and traction. So obviously, again, you know, that thing that um, people have, are, you know, kind of keen to... Um, yes, own these, own these things from the most obscure yeah. bands in the world. My God, the Sidleys. You should definitely get the Sidleys. Because um, <laughs> um, there was quite a lot of bands I've interviewed who only did Flexies, a few 12-inch, a John Peel session, and then broke up. And you thought... Exactly. And then, and then, and then there's a record label called Fire Station in Germany called with UV, who's put out compilations. And um, 
probably about 10 years ago when he probably had the enthusiasm and and it's like oh that's quite nice of you some sort of nice german person there so um it's great that you've also got the enthusiasm to sort of get the, the archiving we love archiving when you get to a certain age don't you well i think i've always had that part of me i fought against it over the years but when i saw my box of tricks again with my tapes and my bootlegs and you know i've got you know, well, now I've got sitting in front of me as I talk to in my sitting room and in boxes in our passage in a basement flat, all these records, and I'm looking at the same sessions that I've got written on a tape, well, typed on a tape, you know, in my in, in another room in a box. Um, so clearly I was archiving them there. I've got a list of the ones that I taped, you know, and uh, so, yeah, this has always been yeah, it's just part of my character, I suspect. But um, yeah. uh, I want to, I'd like to just mention Optic Nerve because that's interesting because I think they're brilliant. They do a fantastic job and, you know, I, I think they've done a, their records, they're, they're lovely when they, they they bring them out, and I you know, I see how many the numbers they do, which is quite encouraging, really. But I'm not, you know, they're they're I'm I'm purely doing sessions, so I'd I'd like them to sort of complement what Optic Nerve does, although that's a bit presumptuous given that they've been going for quite a long time. But I mean, I love what they do. I mean, they do do a fantastic job. So, you know, that's that is a, again some something else that has um, sort of uh, inspired me. Yes, um, it's like a barometer, just, really, isn't it? This, I, I, you yeah. know, because because. Uh, because again, you know, they put out things from bands that, to be honest, I missed the first time. And then you think, okay, the Hangman's Beautiful Daughters, I could never heard of them. But then, you know, they did again. They didn't never did an album, but they did lots of singles and various other bits and pieces. And and you know, with some sh- some sort of okay recordings, managed to get it remixed and remastered and put it out there with some nice sleeve notes by some keen person. And and suddenly, you know, those members, one of them living in. Las Vegas now is like quite mesmerised that they've got this beautiful vinyl record. And I, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of people who think, my God, we've always wanted someone to do this. Because again, I think most people just think, oh, you know, I did it, I was there. We all fell out and never made any money. If someone else, <laughs> if someone else can do it, it will kind of help the memory. <laughs> well, I do think, yeah, I think, I, I think we can be clear, no one's going to be making any money out of my records no. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you do them in, in the, the way I'm, I'm doing them. But... Yeah, but pressing up numbers is is an interesting question because you know, I've got some people who really w- w- want wanted me to to go up to say five hundred of them, and uh, and other people saying no, you don't want to do that many, <laughs> you're never going to sell that many, so do do three hundred. So it's a it's a very tricky one when you've never done it before. I mean, I've got I really don't have any idea, and you know we sold quite a few since Monday, but then you'd hope to, wouldn't you, in the first week? Otherwise, if you don't sell so many straight away. Like an old jam single, they always went straight into number one because they had so many loyal fans that, that everyone bought it the first week. So if you're a Jasmine Minx fan or a BMX Bandits fan, I would imagine you're going to buy these things if you really want them in the first week. So, you know, yes. we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one. And also people, it will take a bit of time for people to realise what, what's kind of happening out there and doing, doing, the, num- doing the things. And, and also the thing what I've also noticed is that there's, there's kind of a, an audience for this around the world. So it does slowly pick up because, you know, there's, there's kind of people in America, Australia and obviously Japan who, who are loyal fans to some of these things that will, you know, definitely want to get them but probably don't realise they're even out there. So that will also have an effect on it eventually, which will be great because you'll create that community and a whole new world for yourself, which will be, which will keep your muse going to the post office, really. <laughs> well, well, I hope so. But the thing is about these, um, these, these bands in particular, and we are talking about um, at the moment, anyway, 1985, 1986. I mean, that just on a personal level. I mean, that's the um, that was at the I just finished sixth form, and what people call a gap year. Well, 
I don't know, people go off travelling and finding themselves. I worked in my dad's betting shop and went to 100 gigs in London. I lived in Sussex then. I'm from Wimbledon, actually, but I lived in Sussex and went to gigs in Brighton and London and then wrote the fanzine with a, with a friend of mine who has actually um, continued to work in, um, uh, in music throughout. But it's been a massive help. Uh, that's Mark, Martin Pike, who is a new, who's Stereo Labs manager. I ought to give him a mention and a thank you. But um, nev- nevertheless, you know, that, that there was a very sort of tight community then. And you would, as you say, people would go out and you'd bands that, that had used to just playing to their mates would go to another town and there was a, a, a community of, 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 of clubs that would be putting on bands. And you're not talking about thousands, but, you know, singles then, creation singles, in those days when they had gatefold sleeves, they would sell in you know decent amounts. And so that, you know these bands were doing um, was, was it's almost unthinkable nowadays in, in what they were doing uh, the, the numbers. So that sort of community, I mean, I, I you know I was sort of, I was yeah I mean I'm not I was involved in it then, but this was a year and a half probably of my life when I was deeply immersed in that. And then I've always continued to go and see these bands and other bands and more, you know, bands of a, I, hate to, I don't want to say a more modern era because the BMX bandits and the Jasmine are both playing, but you, you know what I mean. Yes. Um, um, I, you know, it's not as if I'm just purely having everything preserved in uh, in amber and, uh, and not only interested in that, but I've continued to go, but there was a community and yeah, I found myself getting getting in touch with people that I hadn't done for quite some time and it's been, it's been a rather, you know, pleasant sort of, uh, it's, Effect, it's not a side effect, effect. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting because I know that probably, I don't know, it was nearly 10 years ago, 2013, there was a few people who put a lot of these sessions up on YouTube, actually, which I used to, I still, I still, when I think, oh, yeah, I really want to hear that record or whatever. And um, it's always funny because they do still have, uh, they've included the, they obviously recorded from their cassette, their trusty TDK D90 cassette with John Peel often <laughs> introducing it, which is quite sweet. But um, it's going to be quite nice to have um, have a proper one rather than just the recorded. But, you know, that was better than nothing, let's face it. So whoever, yeah. there was, I don't, I don't, there's a few that, that seemed to, who were very good at archive in, in 2013. But I have to say, if you ever get the Bundu boys, we'll be very impressed because a, they did John Peel sessions, and I think all of them have died, actually. But um, have they? Yes, unfortunately, AIDS wiped them all out, actually. So, um, but but again, you know, because that period of music you're talking about, eighty five, eighty six, to be honest, eighty seven as well, I think um, are amazing for the John. I think there was a really amazing moment with John Peel shows and sessions. I mean, it probably was good before and after, but I do remember that period particularly fondly. So um, there you have it. Well, I obviously do, because, but as I say, it's partly because it was my era, if you like, and we always, I think that those teenage years, are, you, it's like your first love, really. And yes. As I, I was getting out then, I was going out at night and, you know, and going to London, which was all really exciting for me, I mean, um, to, to, to be doing that, and, you know, I did things, I interviewed Stephen Pastel and Bobby Gillespie for my fanzine and things like that, and just, you know, I was very wide-eyed and completely naive, and still am to a large extent, and... I think that almost helps me in what I'm doing because all I care about is making them good, and when the money runs out, the money runs out. That's that's be frank. So that that's how it that's how it is. Um, but I just want them to be nice and want people. You know, you, you can hear the music if you want it on. If you if you get them on the internet, as you say, and I I love the fact that people have put these things up. Um, you can get you, know, you can get downloads. But I you know I just think that there are enough people in the world. I hope like me who want who will be willing to buy the the things I'm trying to do. Um, and you know that that would 
been able to to keep going. Um, and yeah, I've got the, I'm enthusiastic about it and. Maybe the scales are going to be lifted from my eyes at some stage, and I'm going to realise why no one else has ever done it. But <laughs> apart from staying through, <laughs> well, I don't. You know, I mean, let's face it. You get to a certain age, and not. I mean, this is a slightly sweeping statement, but as you get a bit older, one gets. I don't know. You occasionally get the inheritance. You paid off some money. I mean, I haven't, by the way. This this isn't my story, by the way. But I do realise that, you know, when I've been to the, I don't know, say the theatre, I think, how do people afford this? You know, and then you realise there are a certain age who have paid off the mortgage, the kids left home, they've had their inheritance, and they can spend £30 to see a, an average show at the theatre or Norwich. And, and our generation are probably going to want to buy those kind of, uh, obscure singles and flexi discs, or reissues of you know old John Peel sessions of those bands that we love, because you know I know when David Bowie and Lemmy from Motorhead, who were born in the same year, would say, "What was the favourite band? What was the band that sort of got you going?" They both less said Little Richard, and they and you know Lemmy always said, you know the bands that he just loved from all his life were you know like Buddy Holly, you know Eddie Cochran, Little Richard, Elvis, you know at the Beatles mm. and you know, because you can't be 16, 18 only but once. And that's, like you said, is going to be the music you listen to constantly and is going to be with you for the rest of your life, however much the latest, you know, whatever Taylor Swift song yeah. is, is good. You might, you're still not, you know, you're going to be a 50-something, not an 18-year-old-something, getting absolutely obsessed with every little song and every lyric, you know. So it's it's interesting. But, yeah, you know, that is, that's going to be the soundtrack of our lives. And as we get older... We want to hold ephemera <laughs> and look at things, especially gatefold. Let's face it; I still got the wedding. I think the weather prophets and the June brides are both uh, gatefold singles, seven inches. And you think I'm That's not it. even going to put it on? Prophets. I'm not even going to put it on eBay. I'm that much of a fan. <laughs> well, the weather prophets is almost prayed, and and it, I think it was Phil's first solo single that was double. Phil Wilson from the June brides that was that, that was a double. That's how much of an anorak I am. I haven't got to look that up. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, the weather prophet's almost prayed is actually from a session. Um, but um, what, what was I going to say? I mean, yes, this, this um, that era. Was, you mentioned Taylor Swift. I think people would find it slightly odd if I was following every, every movement of Taylor, of Taylor Swift. But much, much as I like her, her, her singles, but I'm not. I'm, I, I'm, I haven't paid off the mortgage, and I do have two kids in the house, so um, maybe this isn't the wisest move I've ever made. <laughs> I don't know, but you will create lots of good friends around the world, and that's the what's and you know, and in this lockdown period, we do need some optimism, don't we? Let's face it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that probably has also had something to do with it. In uh, you know, I was I, I was um, obviously at home, but then I'm a freelance horse racing journalist, and. You know, there's not been much freelance work, and I also set up a horse, a, a, a website, horse racing website of my own, um, in conjunction with a couple of former colleagues at the Racing Post, uh, almost exactly 12 months ago, called Horse Racing Planet, which I look on as my potential business, although there's no income really, um, and, and yeah, I look on the, the, the music as uh, my passion, if, if, if you like. Well, well, I must admit, when you talk about Cherry Red, and I, I, I love their documentation of things, even even already there's a part of me when I see sessions thrown away as a little extra on a CD that I'm slightly annoyed that it's not, that it's not going to be part of a, a beautifully produced vinyl. Yes, absolutely, yeah, that's true. But it's, um, yeah, well, that's brilliant. So, well, thank you ever so much for this. This has been brilliant. And what I can do, um, 
I'll, I can put this out and I can send you a link and then you can always put it on your Facebook page and then, you know, hopefully more people will get to listen and know about it. <clears throat> and um, yep. yes, buy, and buy your singles. And I have to say, this is such an exciting project, which, you know, is going to be brilliant because, like I said, it's, um, yeah, I suppose I have used YouTube to sometimes find a sort of session from various obscure bands from 1986 that someone's recorded and you think it doesn't often sound that great but that'll be good to hear a proper recording it's just brilliant the bbc have obviously archived all this so that it's not going to be some slightly tricky you know recording it's probably been done at made in the bbc with dale griffith producing it well, well that's that's what i'm after i want the, the you know, I, i'm talking about the, the the pure sessions where they went and recorded usually four songs in a day they're not live although some of the songs would have been played live but there was a move in later years to, to playing live sessions, which were, in effect, they, bands would play two or three songs just live. So that's a slightly different beast. I'm really talking about the, the classic Pill, John Pill session. That's 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 what I'm, yes, hoping to, to uh, stick to. Yeah. But we'll uh, we'll see we'll see how it goes. Well, I know. Well, mostly people, I go, God, do you have a good time? And mostly go, No, Dale Griffith has really hated us. But he'd quite like the drummer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he quite had he gave the drummer some tips, but he hated the rest of us. He he probably thought, what are they? You know, it was his job, wasn't it? Let's face it. And he probably yeah. thought, I was in Mott the Hooper, and these guys can't even play. You know, Jesus, what am I doing? But anyway, you know, we all have that five years zeitgeist, and then it's frankly, it's like it's all over, Granddad, isn't it? You know, and that's that's what happens with the wonderful world of music. You know, you you're only on it for so so little time, unless you're David Bowie. Um, and then you can vaguely reinvent yourself, but not many people do that, really. No, well, that's uh, that's what makes David Bowie um, the the artist that he was, isn't it? Yes. Really? But the great you thing know, is, that's... but a lot of the bands you mentioned and artists are, are still have come out if they're not already been out of the woodwork or whatever cupboard. Um, yeah, but still recording new material and playing live. So it's great that um, you know you you know you're going to have some of those sessions as well from that period and. Yes, it's all. It's all. But I would have loved. I would have loved to have put on a launch date with 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 the bands, but I mean they're doing it without any expectation of, of wide success, which obviously makes you different. And they are doing it for the love of it, really. I mean, for example, Jim from the Jasmine Mings. I mean, he he had never heard the sessions as clear as they are now. He'd never actually heard the BBC Wabs. So, you know, I, I, I you know, we've sort of given him something that he'd never he'd never had, which right. is unbelievable when when you're in the band. Um, so, yeah, it is strange, isn't it? You think? Yeah, so they, 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 he don't heard it with tape hits because, like everybody else, he heard it on the radio. Mm. So it was, uh, you know, it was. A, so that's it. so to get them the the originals there is is something for the you know the artists that oh, you know, love to hear them. So you know that's that's worth uh, worthwhile reason to to do it. And as I say, it would have been nice to get the bands to to be able to play together, but clearly at the moment um, that's not going to be possible. No, but you never know. One day it'll be great. Anyway, look, Nick, thank you ever so much for this. And like I said, I'll keep in oh, touch. But all the best for the, uh, the your project, because frankly, this is, this is what life's all about, isn't it? It's just doing good projects. So, um, yeah, good one. I'm impressed. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for having me on the, on, on the show. And thanks for contacting me. It's, really, it's, it's lovely that we've only just started. You know, it's really, really great to talk to you about, you know, about a subject that you know, you're, you're as passionate as I am about. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know, it's great stuff, isn't it? It's nice, actually. Anyway, look, take care and have a lovely evening and weekend, OK? Right. Thanks a lot. Right, thanks.
Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. There you go. We love the ending. It's always so fumbly. But anyway, that was me in conversation with Nick from the Precious Recordings of London, or just Precious Recordings of London. If you want to know any more information, they do have a, a Facebook page and also a Bandcamp site as well, preciousrecordingsoflondon.bandcamp.com. And um, various other information. Google Precious Recordings of London, Indie Pop, and you'll find out more information. Anyway, a massive thank you for uh, to Nick for giving me the time for that. Um, this has been David East for the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do C86 Show. Keep it positive, please. And also, all these have been archived on um, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Anyway, take care. Have a great week. <laughs>